This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. I love military history. I enjoy reading about it, visiting historical sites. It fascinates me. And then the Lord privileged us with being able to come to a church and pastor military families and the opportunities that that brings. And that that has just been such a delight, as I've also gotten to know, uh, the challenges of military life. And, of course, God's been teaching us something about that, too, uh, with... uh, Three of our guys, two sons and a son-in-law in the Marine Corps. Uh, But when you think about the military, when you get to know warriors, you get to understand some things about them and their perspective, especially when they have been in combat. We have a number of combat veterans here in the church. When sailors and soldiers come back together, having been in the fight, you all know the difference in the tone and the urgency in the discussions that take place in the mess hall or a debriefing. In contrast, a conversation uh, when the enemy uh, is is not a threat or uh, or not it's not a time of war. It's it's very different. Uh, the the mood in the conversation. In fact, as I've studied military history, it's fascinated me uh, when they keep sending in new recruits into the battlefront, and the recruits will talk about the whole tone and and the the attitude of those who have been in combat uh, compared to those who really don't understand either what they're getting into. Uh, or what those who have been in combat have experienced. And I, and I think many of you can relate with that. Do you know that the church experiences that as well? You have churches that are on the front lines for the Lord, involved in the battle of trying to reach souls for Jesus Christ. And then there are churches where maybe at one time that was their vision, that's what they were busy doing, but not so much anymore. They've just enjoyed the fellowship, and it's it's not really a lighthouse, it's not a rescue station, and it's certainly not where the troops meet to go back out into the fray anymore. The prayers of a church and the content of those prayers also indicate the focus of the church. The end of Acts records uh, for us yet another, uh, or I'm sorry, Acts chapter 4 records for us yet another of the great prayer meetings in the early church. However, this was the result of their witness on the Temple Mount that resulted in persecution, the high priests, the other elders coming together, the Sanhedrin, to oppose Christ's followers. Peter, John, and presumably the lame man, I think, the man who had been healed, just gotten back from being threatened by 
these officials, they weren't just religious leaders. This was Israel's high court who had assembled and had threatened them and said, don't you speak in this name anymore. And the church meets not just to pray and ask for safety, but to pray for boldness in declaring the word even as the enemy was threatening the work. To make this very simple, you can learn a lot about a church if they have prayer meetings. But then when they have a prayer meeting, what are they praying about? Does it sound like troops who are rallying to go back out and do what their commander has said? Or is the prayer meeting really consumed with a bunch of other personal things? I'm not saying we shouldn't pray for health needs. Uh, we shouldn't, uh, you know, we, we need to uh, cast all our care on the Lord, for he cares for us. But as we pray, the, the content of our prayers, the urgency of our prayers, tells you whether or not you're in a church that actually understands that we're a group of warriors getting together to go back out and to face the enemy and do what our Lord has commanded us to do rescue people from death and hell. Let me make it personal. What do our prayer meetings reveal about Good News Baptist Church? We are doing some of the right things. We pray for missionaries. We pray for those that they're, they've won, those that they're trying to disciple. Uh, we pray for the urgent requests that they have as, as around the world they face the enemy, as they face opposition. But as Christian soldiers, our prayer meetings will reflect if we have just come off the front lines in witnessing for Christ or if we are simply trying to maintain our health and comfort as Christians. Our prayer meetings are going to reflect that. In a witnessing church, the prayer meetings have a sense of urgency. And there will also be reports of blessing as we occupy the strongholds of Satan with the gospel. So tonight, I'd like us to look at a text that teaches us about the praying of a church on the front line. Where that church is actually on the front lines trying to rescue the lost for Christ. Our praying will reflect that. Now, you're in Acts chapter 4. Would you look with me at verse 23? By way of review, you'll remember that in the previous chapter, uh, a lame man is healed. Uh, he comes onto the temple mount where the saints are gathering for a daily prayer meeting, and he's rejoicing and shouting, and a crowd gathers. They can see that a miracle has taken place. The Holy Spirit then leads Paul or, or Peter and John to begin to preach and God begins to work again. Thousands start responding to the message to be saved and the leaders, the religious leaders have had enough and they storm up there with their troops and, and lay hold on, on uh, Peter and John and uh, this, this guy whose day has been great, he just got healed, now he's in custody. 
And he gets hauled off with these other two. And you'll remember that the Holy Spirit, through the book of Acts, through Luke's writings, tells us that thousands more are saved. But these guys now are facing the very tribunal that had put Jesus to death. You don't know how that's going to turn out. Nevertheless, they're bold for Christ. And and we saw last time that they're threatened. Don't do this again. By the way, we're going to see in the book of Acts that this is beginning to escalate. It's just not going to stay with threats. The next time they're hauled in, they get beaten. Herod gets involved. Peter's going to be in prison, and his life is in danger. James will be, will be slain, and, and things now are starting to escalate. So as we read this, it's not, well, this is just, you know, the, the, these are just bumps in the road. Oh, no, storms are coming. And so they're threatened, and then they're released. And that's where we pick up the text. And I want us to see again how prayer is spontaneous in a spirit-controlled assembly of believers. Verse 23. Would you look at it, please? And being let go, they went to their own company and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them. And when they had heard that, they lifted up their voice to God in one accord. And a prayer meeting commences. This all started with Peter and John going to a prayer meeting. They get released, and here's another prayer meeting. Are you starting to see a pattern in the book of Acts? All right. So they lift up their voices in one accord. In other words, this people had one heart and mind. Really about two things. And we're going to see this unfold again in the, in the text. They had one mind about power. Who is their power source? If they're going to accomplish what the Lord has left them here to do, who are they going to have to be depending on? It's not going to be themselves. So they're unified in their mind about their power and then also their purpose. And, here's, and then the scripture says, and they said. Now, this is where we need to stop and analyze how a church prayed as they did battle on the front lines for Christ. How did they pray? All right, we're going to take uh, this uh, prayer and see some very important points tonight. Hope you'll take some notes here. First of all, They acknowledge who their God is. This really goes along with the theme of what we've been seeing in Job. You just need to agree with who your God is. And when you're warring for the Lord, you need to agree who your God is. They acknowledge who their God is. So verse 24 continues, Lord, thou art God, which has made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is. Now again, Why is that important? Because if you're looking at God, you have the right perspective about everything else. He made all these things. He is powerful. He holds them together by the word of his power. He he supplies for all these things. He he, uh, controls all those things. And so really in perspective, who are these opponents of, of God? really not a threat at all uh, because God is greater. 
He's the almighty creator who governs all things. He also knows every mind and action of his enemies. Look at verse 25. Who by the mouth of thy servant David has said, Why did the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things? Verse 26. The kings of the earth stood up and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. So in their praying, the early church not only considered who their God is based on how God revealed himself, but they also reflected on what their great God has said. What a prayer meeting. They're here to be encouraged and to beseech the Lord for some things, but how do they start? They encourage themselves, all right, here's our God. We have nothing to fear. And here's what our God has said. And he cannot deny his word. So they quote from Psalm 2. They knew the scriptures. By the way, our prayer meetings also illustrate whether we in fact know the Bible. We need to know the Bible to be able to pray pray properly, but our knowing the scripture, we can pray back to God what he has said, encourage our hearts, all right, and even later claim what God has said to us. So they, in Psalm 2, attribute the psalm to David. I want you to hold your place and would you go back to Psalm 2. Many of our psalms will have at the top a heading that lets us know who the author is and sometimes why it was written when it was written. How many of you, and I'm just curious tonight, how many of you Your English translation of the scripture attributes Psalm 2 to David. How many of you, your Bible says a Psalm of David? Would you raise your hand? All right, that is just a fraction of you. There's a reason for that. The reason is those original Psalms, going all the way back to when they were written, those who wrote them either put their name with them and said when it was written, sometimes why it was written, or someone who was close to them, Asaph, David, would write in that it was a psalm of David or someone else. The writer of the psalm doesn't tell us who he is, the human author, who he is. But the Holy Spirit under inspiration, when we get to the book of Acts, tells us who wrote that psalm. It was David. Now that's going to be significant as we read on here. David knew that the anointed in Psalm 2 and verse 2, the heathen rage, they imagine a vain thing, against the Lord God, God and his anointed one. That's the Hebrew word there for Messiah, Messiah. So as we get into the book of Acts, when they go to pray to the Lord, they know David is the human author. David recognized that this was speaking about the coming Messiah. And they also recognize now that Jesus is the fulfillment of Psalm 2. Wow. Now look at verse 27 back in Acts 4. For of a truth against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast, and what's the next word? 
anointed. So the anointed in Psalm 2, the anointed here, same person, the Lord Jesus. The heathen raids, they imagine vain things against God, against his anointed one, his Messiah. And who are those, who are the heathen that rage? Now, as they pray, they list them. Herod, Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles, and the people of Israel were gathered together. Now, those characters, are, they couldn't agree about anything, but when it came to not wanting Jesus, they were in full agreement together. And in fact, in Jesus' day, that was the force against him that ultimately, as he gave himself to them, ultimately nailed him to a cross. In their rage, imagining a vain thing, in spite of all the revelation of Jesus about himself that the Jews had, they rejected all of that. They refused to believe on Jesus, the Messiah. All right, so they gathered together. Now, when we pray, do we understand who our Lord is and what he has said about those who oppose his gospel work? We can see that picture. We can go to the scriptures. We, we have it laid out. That perfect history in the, through the pages of scripture is laid out for us about those uh, who have opposed our Lord. Uh, the, later, one of the other scripture writers will say, consider uh, the, the antagonism, and I'm using the English word there, but the antagonism of these against the Lord. Uh, how, how hateful, how violent uh, that was. And so when we pray, we think about our God. We think about how God, in spite of all this opposition, has still continued to work and he's been victorious. If we're engaged on the front lines for Christ, our praying will of necessity include this encouragement as we seek God's assistance. Now, not only do these praying warriors acknowledge who their God is, they also understand their God controls the enemy's battle plans. That's right. Consider the fact that your God controls the enemy's plans. I didn't get any amens. You're still digesting that. But isn't that true? Everything Satan has done has played right into God's master plan. So secondly, these prayers understand their God controls the enemy's battle plans. Look at verse 28. For to do whatsoever, not their hand, Herod, Pilate, not these, not what their hand, but whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determine before to be done. What God predetermined in his all-knowing counsel and then implemented with his all-powerful hand was used to the combined efforts against the enemy or his efforts against uh, the combined efforts of the enemy to bring about Calvary's victory. It is finished. Victory shout. Okay? No wonder then, and I'm going to start comparing some things with Psalm 2, 
No wonder in Psalm 2, 4 it says this, He that sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. Imagine being the enemy and everything you try to do plays right into your opponent's plans. Oh, that'd be frustrating. Frankly, I don't know how Satan can keep going. Everything that he does works right into God's plan. The only way you can define that is his absolute hatred for God and, uh, and his pride. Then Psalm 2.8 gives a promise as the Father speaks to his anointed Messiah. And I think this brings us back then to Acts chapter 4. Listen to Psalm 2.8. Ask of me, God speaking to the Son, and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. Wow. Ultimately, Christ will defeat all of his enemies on earth. He'll reign in Jerusalem. He's coming back as judge. But why did he come the first time? To conquer. And did he conquer? Absolutely. And did he gain a possession when he was here? I'm looking at his inheritance. Yeah. Yeah. And how did he do it? By sword? No. Jesus said, uh, if, if I came to war, my servants would fight. That's not why I'm here. But he conquered through the power of his word by loving folks to himself so that they would receive him as Savior. And before he went back to heaven, guess what he did? He reminded his disciples, that is why I'm leaving you here. What were those disciples in Jerusalem, what were they doing? They were continuing the work of their Lord. They were conquering by sharing the gospel and helping there to be a harvest for their Lord. Christ will defeat his enemies, but in part, he does that by making them his children through redemption. A church doing work on the front lines gains even greater encouragement when we remind ourselves in prayer that our Savior controls the enemy's battle plans. Isn't it true our Lord said we are not ignorant of his devices? He knows. When you start your Monday, God knows everything that the enemy is up to as he seeks out you. At the same time, if you will go to the front lines and do what God has called you to do in trying to win people to Christ, teenagers, you teenagers, other teenagers, adults, those in, in your workplace, your neighbors, I think we would struggle if, if we could go back in time and disciples today could just spend a couple days with the disciples when Jesus walked on the earth. It would be very different being a disciple then, than what we know of discipleship today. Everywhere Jesus went and he saw a lost soul, everything stopped to reach that lost soul. I must be about my father's business. We're a little bit more casual about it, aren't we? Well, if, if somebody seems interested, if this seems like a good opportunity, I'm not saying we shouldn't be led 
by the Lord. But are we urgent seeking to make sure that every possible opportunity to give the gospel, we do so? That's what it was to walk with Jesus. But sometimes we hold back because we're afraid of what the enemy has planned. Again, be encouraged, and as you pray, Lord, you know the enemy's battle plans. The Lord knows what the enemy is plotting in secret. He knows what the enemy is doing when the seed reaches hearts. He he also said uh, that his word will not return void. It will accomplish what he sends it forth to do. The gospel remains the power of, of God unto salvation, even though it will be opposed. So take heart. When you pray... Remind God and remind you of who he is. Remind God and remind you of what he has said. And then pray to the Lord with the assurance that he controls the enemy's battle plans. Now notice what comes next as we pray. Number three, they ask for boldness from their God. They do not deny their human side as soldiers of the cross. Okay, there, there is this human side. It had to be a fearful thing to be brought in front of the Sanhedrin and the high priest again. That had to be scary. Okay, but notice how they pray. Verse 29, and now, Lord, behold their threatenings. Lord, you know about that. We hear that, and that, that's a fearful thing. Behold their threatenings, and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word. There's not an ounce in here about, Lord, keep us safe, please. Please protect us. Now, is it wrong to pray that? It's not wrong to pray that if you're advancing, doing God's will. It's okay. But don't pray that and then stay home and don't obey. We're soldiers of the cross. It's noteworthy. They didn't ask for their circumstances to change. They asked the Lord for boldness regardless of their circumstances. When was the last time you heard this kind of praying in a prayer meeting? As I prepared this message, this was a rebuke to me. When's the last time we said to God, Lord... This week, we need your boldness. Give us boldness as we proclaim your word. Phillips Brooks said this, Do not pray for easy lives. Pray to be stronger men and women. Do not pray for tasks equal to your powers. Pray for power equal to your tasks. These early believers acknowledged who their commander was. They prayed and reminded themselves that he controlled the enemy's battle plans. They asked their commander for boldness as they proclaimed the word. And then finally, from this prayer we see in the text, they reminded God of what he had already done, and they asked him to do it again. They reminded God about what he had already done, and they asked him to do it again. Look at verse 30. By stretching forth thine hand to heal. Had the Lord done that? I think in this prayer meeting is the man who was lame and is now healed. 
He's right there. Would that strengthen your faith and your desire to pray? Yes. Lord, we can see what you've already done. And by the way, this crowd, we don't know where they were, how big this prayer meeting was. But by this point, thousands had been saved across Jerusalem. Thousands had been saved. So by stretching forth thine hand, and that signs and wonders may, and the wording here, uh, may continue to be done by the name, through the name of thy holy child, Jesus. So this prayer was essentially, Lord, you have done it once, through thy name, Jesus, do it again. Do it again. It's good to remind our Lord, of past demonstrations of his victory in our lives, to thank him for those demonstrations of victory. By the way, if you're saved here tonight, you have a testimony of the demonstration of his power. Every one of us has that. And God wants to even encourage us with that and then have us go out and just purpose to share the gospel. It's the power of God unto salvation. And as you do that, you are going to see people come to Christ. So again, remind our Lord of those past victories. Ask him to do it again as we prepare for more service. The Lord conquered you. He has used the gospel proclaimed by you to conquer others. I hope many of us have that testimony. So ask the Lord to do it Again, do you know whose most effective soul winners are? Are those who started out fearful, begging God to help, and then they saw somebody saved. Then they saw somebody else saved. And then somebody else saved. And you say, well, they, 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 it's just easier for them. No, it's not. No, it's not. Do they have greater faith? That's because God strengthened their faith because they were obedient and they saw the Lord do a mighty work. Now, God wants to do that for each of you. Uh, thinking back, and again, I, I, I don't hold myself up as an example. I just, I just want to share testimony of the grace of God. I was shy, um, preferred quiet, put me on a tractor in a field and leave me alone. But God called me to preach. Say, Pastor, when, when was the first time you led somebody to the Lord? I led a guy in our youth group to the Lord. He ended up marrying my cousin. That guy was rough. God, got me, God allowed me to lead him to the Lord. I don't remember everything I said, but I'm sure it was not a polished presentation. But it was the gospel, and the Lord saved Anthony. Good Italian. Good pizza maker. That was his business after they were married. By the way, Anthony's in heaven today. But that's when it started. And then the Lord allowed me to travel with the Minutemen team. And every week I got to see God do a mighty work in the lives of teenagers. We've had the Minutemen here and, and have seen his power. And that was before I was even a youth pastor. But I tell you what, the Holy Spirit lit a fire in me of what he can do. With some, somebody as weak as me, 
God can do it through you. Pray. Remind God what he has already done and then ask him to do it again. Does this kind of praying please the Lord? What we're talking about uh, tonight, when a church that is on the front lines trying to reach people for the Lord, uh, does this kind of praying please God? You want to look at the text? Watch what happens next. Verse 31. And when they had prayed, we could say prayed these things, the place was shaken where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. Now this leads many to believe, I believe as well, that they were probably in some kind of a public setting again. They hadn't fled and hidden all over the city. We don't know where they were, uh, but certainly the authorities knew where they were. But they had to be in a place where once again, as God works through this prayer meeting, again, it's spontaneous, and now they begin to proclaim the word with boldness again. Now understand that this wasn't a second Pentecost. There was only one Pentecost. There only needed to be one Pentecost, just like there was only one Calvary and only needed to be one Calvary. This demonstration, though, uh, however, accomplished two purposes for these believers. First, the Lord was showing his church such praying is not only necessary for the work, but it is pleasing to him. Of all the things that we do here at Good News, what do you think pleases the Lord the most? I think he's pleased when we, I know he's pleased when we go out and we share the gospel. You know what pleases him? When a group of believers get together and in simple faith they pray like this. That pleases him. Notice again the setting. It was shaken. There was an earthquake. God God was stirring things up not to hurt anybody, but to encourage everybody. I want this kind of praying. There are other times, again, you can track in Scripture where God's people humbly and in full surrender pray to the Lord, pray these kinds of things to the Lord, and the glory of God comes down. And things happen. What is God trying to show them? Is that Should we expect that every time we have a prayer meeting? No. But what we need to know from the testimony of Scripture is that God is pleased with that kind of praying. And he responds to that kind of praying. That's what he was showing here. Secondly, it was the Holy Spirit again taking control of these believers for greater service on the front lines as they were obedient to the gospel call. Don't think for a moment that, okay, this week I'm just going to go out and I'm going to be a witness. Don't do that unless you get on your face before God like these folks have and pray. It's not your power, it's not your convincement that's going to do anything out there. But it is God. And if we are yielded to him and praying to him, there is no holding back what the church can do. I'm sure of it. That is the testimony of the book of Acts, and now we're seeing it yet again. So let's conclude. A church 
that is doing battle on the front lines will have it reflected in their praying as they continue to acknowledge who their God is, as they pray about the fact that he already knows the battle plans of the enemy. They ask their God for boldness and they remind the Lord of what he has already done as they ask him to do it again. What a prayer meeting. What a testimony reminder for us. Really, the only way you will pray this way is if you are on the front lines. You've got to decide to just be obedient. In our 50th year as a church, you know what has grown this church? It's been soul winning. We could have some of the folks that have been around here the longest stand and talk about those early days. It was soul winning. By the way, those were some bumpy days because when you're committed to soul winning, Satan is going to draw a target on your back and he's going to start the attack. But if this church is going to continue to please the Lord, have the power of the Lord, we're going to have to be a praying church that prays with urgency and then is out sharing the gospel. If you're on the front lines... Use this prayer as a model for greater effectiveness as you seek to win souls for Christ. We don't save anybody. But he is able to save as we declare the gospel. That's our calling. That's our privilege. And so as soldiers of the cross, let's go out and be faithful. Let's be a frontline church. Let's all be involved in the work and let's see what God will do. Father, thank you for the prayer in Acts 4 that in a moment at a time when there was real danger and Lord, it's only going to get worse as we study through here as far as physical danger, the threat to these believers. But God, they didn't hold back. And whatever they did, they bathed in prayer, just like we see in Ephesians 6. They had on the armor of God, they had their feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. But then, as soldiers, they were on their knees before you. And that's what we're admonished to do in Ephesians 6, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. And Lord, thank you for this narrative. Uh, Lord, really, this is a story. The acts of the apostles, the activities of these who are committed to you and to the spread of the gospel, empowered by your Spirit. So, Father, tonight, in Jesus' name, would you use us mightily take the gospel to the lost and then to engage in the great commission which is after you win them Lord do you save them teaching them to observe all that you have commanded and Father just the process of multiplication if Christians will choose to continue to be obedient young people, adults, children Lord there is no limit to what you can do, including other churches being planted from this place.
So we ask you to lead us. But Lord, help us to be urgent in our praying and to pray as we've seen uh, this evening in this wonderful text. We pray these things now in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, you can visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened, and we want to encourage you to share this message with others. May the truth of God's word be your guide as you strive to follow Christ and make him known to others.